Please join me in prayer. Give ear to our words, O Lord. Consider our groaning. Give attention to the sound of our cry, our King and our God, for to you do we pray. Father, it is a privilege to be in the presence of your holiness, to have access to our loving and true King. You alone are worthy to be praised. And in your creation are countless reflections of your glory each new day from sunrise to sunset, and also at night as we glimpse the expanse of space and the starry sky, all pointing us to you. Your presence is felt through your promises, through your word, through your spirit, also amazingly provided for us. All praise be to you, our Heavenly Father. Father, our sinful nature rebels against you and your goodness. Our sin is ever-present, and we fall short in so many ways. We deserve your judgment and your sentence, but through Christ you offer endless grace and mercy. The incredible gift of Jesus crucified paid the eternal price of our salvation. Even so, we fail to respond in gratefulness and faithfulness as we should. Forgive us, Lord, for our shortcomings. Renew a right spirit within us through the blessings of your means of grace. Lord, in this moment, we are thankful for our church and a renewed missional vision to gather, grow, and go in your name into all things. We pray for our church leadership, our staff, and congregation as we seek to engage in your important kingdom work through covenant. We thank you for our communities where we can interact, share life, and practice being the hands and feet of Jesus. And for the nations where we see your creativity displayed through every different type of image bearer, language, and custom, and yet where we still have the opportunity to unite through our shared purpose and design that has you at the center. Father, in our community, we do have specific needs we bring before you this morning. We lift up Lindsay and Richard Meadows in the loss of Lindsay's mom, Selena Andrist Bond. We pray for peace and comfort for their family in the midst of loss. We pray for Dan Edwards as he travels tomorrow to New Hampshire, taking the equipment for the Explorer Camp mission trip. We pray for safety for Dan, and we lift up the team and the hearts of the children who come to camp. May they have ears to hear the gospel and love Jesus. We lift up Brandon Lackey in the Foundry Ministry, as Henry mentioned earlier, as they rescue men and women from addiction. We pray these men and women would be restored mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually. We pray for physical and spiritual protection for their campuses as they function as a refuge in a fallen and broken world. We ask that the staff and their families would be refreshed as they serve and support. Father, renew our minds and our hearts today as we rest and enjoy you, and in the week ahead as we seek to live out our calling in your name. Allow your Holy Spirit to guide us in grateful and faithful service in whatever we do to glorify your name forever and ever. Thank you for the privilege of being your people in an everlasting covenant. We pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. I really love gathered worship with you on the first day of the week. You're thinking, of course you do. It's your job to love it. You're a pastor. But think about it. Daniel, one of our elders, just led us in prayer. 
That means by faith together, we, as we're gathered, we gathered in God's throne room. Calling upon God's name in prayer. You can do it on your own, but sometimes we do it when we're gathered together. And then after that prayer, now this is what we're about to do in our worship service. We just spoke to God in prayer. Now we're expecting God to address us. What a privilege it is to be God's people gathered in his presence. One of the things that happens when we gather in God's presence is we listen for his voice. I love that we've been studying the book of 1 Peter, and it's, it's remarkable that one of Jesus' closest friends and closest followers, a regular failure who, by the grace of God, became an apostle, Peter, actually wrote a letter to Christians in the first century. And we're reading that letter. That's amazing. We're reading a letter from an apostle, a very good friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he wrote to believers in the first century. They lived after Jesus life, death, and resurrection. And before his second coming, we live in that same era of God's saving plan, though different, different culture, different uh, time frame, but we're in that same phase of God's big saving plan after the death, resurrection of Jesus before his second coming, but deeper and richer than having words written by an apostle. We believe the Holy Spirit inspired the apostle Peter. So what we're reading is actually God's word to us. And God addresses in his word. I'll cover that because I want to just remind you some of the things that God has been saying in first Peter, because it's important that we hear this as God's word and not just someone's idea. Here's what God's been saying pretty consistently through first Peter as we've gone through, because God tells us the truth. You're going to suffer. That's not something we really want to hear. Secondly, you're not just going to suffer in general. Peter's been focused on a different kind of suffering. You're going to suffer unjustly, meaning people are going to treat you badly. You're going to suffer unjustly when you're loyal to Jesus Christ, your Savior, and the things that he's taught you. So that's one of the wonderful things about the Bible. It's really open. God's really transparent about these things. And Peter's been saying it again and again and again in the letter. Peter's been saying, you are going to suffer You're going to suffer unjustly at the hands of unbelievers. And then he says two other things. I'm going to read them to you. This is prior to our passage, but I want you to hear Peter says them twice. He says, it's a gracious thing that you're suffering unjustly. And he says, it is your calling. This is the context of our passage. Here's what Peter wrote to the first example in the letter the lowliest slave in the community. In chapter two, he said, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In verse 20, he says, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. You hear he said that twice? It's a gracious thing. It's a gift from God when you suffer unjustly and when you endure it it's a gracious thing in the sight of god verse 21 of chapter 2 for to this you have been called there's the first reference to your calling because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps and then he goes on and says jesus committed no wrong he didn't sin there's no deceit in his mouth but when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he didn't threaten but he continued entrusting himself 
to the one who judges justly. That's chapter two. It's a gracious thing when you suffer unjustly, when you endure it. And it's God's calling. Here's chapter three. Uh, This is part of our memory verse for this season. And Walt did a great job preaching this passage three Sundays ago. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. Hear that living just like Jesus did. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. When people mistreat you, don't mistreat them back. Bless them. When people revile you, don't revile them back, bless them. When people curse you, don't curse them back, bless them. And here's what Peter's been saying throughout the whole epistle, God's word to us. If you're loyal to King Jesus in this world that often rejects him, you are going to suffer. That suffering will be unjust. It's just because you're faithful and loyal to Jesus. So today... Our passage gives us three reasons that this is true. It's true that it's a gracious thing from God's hand when we suffer unjustly and that this is our calling. So our passage today, which is chapter four, one through six, gives us three reasons. It's true that it's a gracious thing. It's real. That's a gracious thing and our calling to suffer unjustly. Time out. Aren't you thankful that God tells you the truth? You're going to suffer if you're loyal to Jesus. Suffer in ways you don't deserve to suffer. He's really honest about that. Jesus said it himself. In this life, you will have trouble. Paul said it. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter says it all through the letter. And so today we need to meditate on it and our passage helps us. So look in your worship God or in your Bible. Uh, We're going to, today we're going to looking closely at 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6, but there's a little bit more context here. Let me read that and then we'll pray together. Uh, 1 Peter 3, I really should have included verse 18 because it's the money verse and I left it out. So let me read it to you. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh made alive in the spirit. And here's what's printed for us. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And here's today's passage. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who was ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. 
the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we trust, we believe that your word stands forever, unchanging, perfect. Would you now illumine our hearts? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? Please open your gracious hands and grant us soft hearts to hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what Peter's going to say in this passage in chapter 4, 1 through 6. He's going to tell us three privileges connected to this particular persecution suffering for righteousness. This is what he's been talking about from 3.8 all the way in the next par- paragraph past this passage. He's been talking over and over again about suffering for righteousness. And he's not left that topic behind, but he's telling us in today's passage, there's three privileges connected to that persecution, that suffering for righteousness. And so I want you to see with those with me today. First of all, in four, the first half of verse one, he wants us to know that suffering for righteousness is participating in the king's pattern. Look at it with me. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So just remember what we just read. Uh, Peter just had said, Jesus Christ suffered for you. And later he was glorified. He was raised and ascended and he now rules. And so now Peter is going to tell you and me, I want you to adopt the same mindset that Jesus had about suffering because Peter knows you and I are going to participate in the same pattern that our King followed. Jesus was humiliated. He suffered first and later Uh, He was vindicated and brought to glory. And so here's what Peter's saying. Jesus bore suffering. Jesus understood the purpose of his suffering. Jesus submitted to suffering. And I want you, and Peter uses a military term, I want you to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That's our first point. Peter wants you and me to think about suffering the way King Jesus thought about suffering. He embraced it as God's calling on his life. And that's what Peter is offering to you and me. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Adopt Jesus' mindset about his suffering. How did Jesus think about his suffering? He thought it was worth it. He understand that God had planned it that God had a purpose for it. He understood that he was gonna be rejected, but some of those people that rejected him would later believe in him. He understood that his rejection would lead to his death and his death would lead to your salvation and to mine. Jesus saw great purpose in his suffering, so he embraced it. He embraced his role as the one set apart to suffer in a very particular way. And now Peter is saying, you're not the savior of the world. No, not at all. But I want you to think about unjust suffering the same way Jesus did. I want you to adopt that as your mindset. Uh, about four Sundays ago, I told you a story about the guy that took the gospel to Korea, Robert J. Thomas. And don't worry, Chrissy told me that story took way too long. So, um, so today I'm gonna give you a much more truncated version of it. Just to remind you, he was really eager to take the gospel, to take Bibles and gospel messages to Korea. They were not open to him being there. Uh, he got on a ship, he finally got there. Um, and they, there's a lot of conflict. The bottom line is uh, some of the people that really understood how the river worked, uh, they got a bunch of boats on fire around his boat. And that boat started to burn down. It also exploded. 
And uh, anyway, I told that story uh, three, four Sundays ago, and Brad Harold heard it. And if you know Brad, this won't surprise you. He did the deeper dive and research and found some more details. I'm going to share with you today. Um, and so the, the boat exploded and burned down and people are jumping off. And a lot of them were soldiers, you know, the, the, the men on that ship that weren't believers, they weren't missionaries. They jumped off the ship with rifles and, and went to fight for their lives, but they were way outnumbered by the Koreans and they were put to death. But Robert Thomas, uh, he had Bibles in his hands. He, he still wanted people to hear the good news about Jesus. So he jumps off the boat with a few Bibles in his hands and a couple of uh, messages about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he swims ashore in this awkward way. He, he walks up on shore and uh, he's praying for the people that are coming after him with clubs and rifles and, and swords. And one guy comes to him with a sword pointing at him and Robert's praying for him. And then a guy named Park comes up and stabs Robert to death and he dies and they burned his body by the side of the river. But the guy that stabbed him to death, Park, uh, that guy picked up one of the Bibles and later read it very carefully and studied it and then believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and then uh, helped found a church and became an elder of one of the first churches in that city. But on that same day where Robert uh, gave up his life for his loyalty to to King Jesus, there was a 12-year-old boy who picked up three Bibles Um, And he gave them to another guy named Park, not Park that stabbed Robert Thomas to death, but another guy named Park. And and that guy, uh, Park, that got one of the three Bibles picked up by the 12-year-old named Choi, uh, that Park went home and he just thought it was awful. This stupid Western religion. And you know what he did? He just ripped the Bible to shreds. He ripped all the pages out and he put it all over his walls as wallpaper, just mocking this silly religion, this silly book. And his neighbors came in his house and read the ripped out pages of wallpaper on his walls. And they ended up believing in Jesus. And they ended up founding the first church in Pyongyang City where he was killed just outside of. And that city ended up be, being called the Jerusalem of the East because so many people came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so basically Robert Thomas understood what he was doing when he carried those Bibles from the boat to the shore. He embraced suffering. He thought about it the way Jesus thinks about it. He says, it's worth it. It's worth it. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It's worth it. I want them to know Jesus, my savior. And so it's very probable that King Jesus, who loves you, he gave his life for you, is planning some suffering for you connected to your love for Jesus and your, lo- your loyalty to Jesus and your loyalty to what God says about things that will give you a phenomenal opportunity to embody the grace and kindness and forbearance of people who've been rescued by grace. There's no place in 1 Peter where Peter says, um, it's a good thing if people are unkind to you because like a jerk, you're saying what God says. What Peter says is it's a good thing if you're loyal to Jesus Christ with meekness and gentleness and you're enduring suffering because then you're the aroma of your savior who was just like that even as he gave his life up for you. Suffering for righteousness is participation in the king's pattern. We'll see the end of the pattern at the end of our passage because eventually those people get vindicated just as Jesus was vindicated. But this is the beginning of it. Embracing suffering with great purpose, revealing 
the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't you know that suffering for righteousness, when you know God's will and you do God's will and you take it on the chin anyway and you remain kind and meek and you bless those who are being unkind to you, don't you know what that is? It's intimacy with Jesus. If you've been feeling kind of cold and numb and do you want to have a, a, a new experience of fellowship with Jesus Christ, then take on this new mindset that some of the things that I don't want coming at me because I'm loyal to Jesus, counting the cost of those things and embracing those things, it's a wonderful way to have fellowship with Jesus who was just like that for you and me. So that's the first thing. The second thing comes from the second half of verse one down through verse four. And it's simply this suffering for righteousness means that, that you've been placed on the right path. Uh, if you're suffering for righteousness, you've been rescued from a flood of debauchery. You've been pulled from a bad path onto a good path. And being on the good path is going to lead to some persecution, some misunderstanding and some mistreatment. And that's what he says here. So here's the rest of verse one and following for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Hey, if, if you're suffering, you're on the right path. You're not living for human passion anymore. You're living for God's will for the time that's past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And there's that list. And then he says in verse four, with respect to these, to, to this they those who were not understanding you, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Here's what Peter is saying here. You, you used to be floating down the stream doing what everyone else did. You had the same values as your neighbors who don't know and love God. You had the same views, the same practices of those who don't know and don't love God. But, but that is a flood of debauchery. That's leading to dissipation. That's pulling you, pulling your heart and soul apart at the middle. You're created for a relationship with God. You're created to live in healthy and whole ways with God, yourself and others. And, but you were in this flood of debauchery, this flood of dissipation that was leading to soul death. But you've been rescued from that and you're no longer living that way. You're not living the pattern of the culture. You're living this new way. You've been rescued by, by God's grace. And what Peter says is, uh, that's what's leading to the misunderstanding and the maligning. He says it right there in verse four, uh, the, your former friends, people that haven't met Jesus yet, they're surprised when you don't join them in that stuff you used to enjoy doing with them and they malign you. Let me back up just for a minute and look at the end of verse one there because it sounds a little confusing. Uh, I just want you to know before I read it again that when Peter uses the phrase in the flesh, he doesn't mean what Paul means when he uses the word in the flesh. We're more familiar with that. When Paul talks about being in the flesh, he's talking about your old fallen human nature most of the time. Uh, Peter in this context in the flesh just means this, your normal human life. That's why he said Christ died. He suffered in the flesh, in his person, uh, Jesus died like the way a normal per suffered, the way a normal person suffers. And now uh, Peter says this, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So here's what Peter doesn't mean. He doesn't mean uh, that if you've had some physical affliction, you'll never sin again. The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, what Peter here is saying is if you've 
chosen righteousness in the present age and paid for it. It's evidence that you're no longer under the dominating power of sin. You're on the right path. You've been rescued from that old path. And the reason you're having friction now and difficulty now is you're no longer obeying sin as a master. No, you have a new master and you're living a new way. And so that's creating all the rub. I love the Bible so honest about this. One of the things the Bible says to you me all the time is our lives are full of tension. And if, if, if the main thing you've heard about Christianity is believe in Jesus and there's joy, 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 joy down in my heart, period. And it's all fun and games. And it's like, you know, just sliding down an easy hill on a slip and slide into deeper and deeper joy. The Bible doesn't say that. There's real joy and real hope and real grace for the Christian. And that hope and that joy and that grace leads us into deeper loyalty and faithfulness. And that loyalty to Jesus and faithfulness to God and what he says leads to people misunderstanding you more. And because they're committed to another pattern of life, they will also malign you. So let's talk about some concrete ways where this happens, okay? Think about this. This this used to be kind of this used to be taken for granted in our culture, and the things have changed a lot. But but Christians, we think for one, for one example, we think sexuality is an awesome gift from God that it's great, and it fits one relationship, marriage between one man and one woman, and we think patterns of marriage that are different than that. God doesn't affirm them. And we think sex outside of that kind of that marriage between one man and one woman, woman, that God forbids it. That makes us in today's culture crazy. People don't understand it. They don't understand why we would live by some kind of standard like that. Why aren't we all just doing what we want to do? Why, why, why would we ever judge someone else's choices, some other ways that they would express love? Who are we to make those decisions? So the more we think about what God says and receive it as a gift and just live in faithfulness, people look at us and they think we're crazy. And then they malign us. They think we're killjoys. They think we're, they think we're full of judgment. They think we're just self-righteous because we hold to what God has said. And so in this epistle, Peter is not encouraging self-righteousness at all, but he is encouraging humble faithfulness. And he's saying humble faithfulness will lead to misunderstanding and even being maligned. And we see it happening. It's happening all the time, everywhere. And here's what Peter is saying in the letter as a whole. Bear that. Endure that. Don't pay them back. Are they saying unkind words about you? Yeah, 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 we know. Say nice words back to them. Are they running you down? Build them up. Are they cursing you? Bless them. Is he saying drop what God says? Not at all. But he wants us to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was right, who who was true, who was faithful, he bore suffering with hope and humility. And that's what verse four says. With respect to this, if you leave behind that list, so the, the list in verse three, uh, what do the pagans, people who don't know God want to do? Well, what we all want to do by nature and what we want to do before we met Jesus, living in sensuality. I'm gonna have everything I want. 
going to follow all of my own appetites. I'll have what I want when I want it, to, want it, and no one can tell me otherwise. That's that heart of sensuality. Passions driven by lusts, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I'll turn any of God good, God's good gifts into my God of the week, and I'll just bow down before it. And that's how we used to live. Well, when you're changed, when, uh, when you're placed on this new path, people that used to do those things with you, they're surprised when you don't join them anymore. We used to get drunk till we threw up together. Why aren't you doing these fun things anymore? They're surprised. What changed? And then they malign you. And so Peter's saying, yes, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And I want you to bear it. This is a grace. Uh, This is your calling. And so thirdly, I want you to see this with me. Uh, Suffering for righteousness rightly is just patiently awaiting our permanent reward. And that's what verses five and six say. How is it that we're not going to revile those who revile us? How are we going to be misunderstood and mistreated and then not treat people the same way? How are we going to bear it? How are we going to be faithful? Well, number one, we're going to adopt the king's pattern. We're going to remember we've been placed on the right path. But thirdly, we're going to understand that we're not the ultimate judge. Verse 5, but they, those who misunderstand and malign you, they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. That's what Peter's saying. You don't have to pass judgment. You don't have to react with anger. You don't have to be impatient. You can bear it with humility and kindness because the ultimate judge is not asleep and he sees everything. And listen, I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Peter for you uh, real quickly because Peter brings this up, the ultimate judgment and the, the great glorious future that's coming. He brings up a lot because he actually wants us to live right now in light of the grace and the glory that's coming. And that's what he's saying here. 1 Peter 1 verse 5, believer, you're being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation, for a salvation ready to be revealed when in the last time you're being guarded now but it's going to be unfurled all the glory all the grace all the goodness is going to be unfurled at the last time and you're living for that moment you're not living for right now you're living for that moment one verse seven the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result your faith found a result in praise and glory and honor. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back and he's gonna bring glory and honor for those who are faithful. Those who are loyal, those who bear, who endure suffering unjustly. Chapter one, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. So similar to our passage And being so reminded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sisters and brothers, we're to aim our lives to that day. Live in the present in light of that coming great day. Chapter two, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. 
Are they going to misunderstand you and malign you? They are. Honor, be honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when? On the day of visitation. And that gives us to our passage. Those who misunderstand you and malign you, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. Isn't that a helpful perspective? They don't understand. You don't have to act like they're being willfully wicked. They don't understand. They're surprised. And they malign you, but they will give account to him. To him, to whom? The one who's ready to judge the living and the dead. And so look with me at verse 6. Um, I am not a better translator than the people who wrote the ESV. I'm not. But I disagree with the way they translated verse 6. I'm going to give you a slightly different version of it here. Um, this is what I think uh, Peter is writing. Um, they will give account to him, verse 5, uh, to him... To, uh, the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead, who's the dead? It's the same thing in verse five and verse six. Basically, verse six, the dead, though they were judged, condemned in this life by human judgment, mocked and maligned, they might live in the spirit. I think that should be a capital S by God's judgment. I think that's what Peter's saying there. So here, here's, here's what I think how the passage ends. Peter is saying, the gospel is preached to people who believed it and now they're dead. And when they're alive and when they died, people said, what a wasted life. Robert J. Thomas, what a wasted life. He spent all that money to get to China and then to Korea and then they burned his body by the next to the river. What a waste. My goodness. In this life, misunderstood and maligned, but... By the Spirit, Robert J. Thomas is going to experience resurrection life. That is, live with God forever and ever and ever. Let me ask you, what's the basic pattern of your life? When you think about your life, what's the pattern that you've adopted? It's a gracious thing that King Jesus, who suffered first and then was vindicated, has invited you and me to adopt the same pattern. He's invited us to take his pattern of life as our own pattern of life. Have you experienced a great transfer from the flood of debauchery to living uh, with God by God's grace according to God's ways? And finally, whose judgment reigns over your life? I promise you, if you choose any standard or any person other than God as the ultimate standard and judge of your life, you're voting for deep and unassailable anxiety. But not if you entrust yourself to God. The God who is full of grace and love and power and rescues people for his own purposes. If you're living your life in light of God's judgment, God's eyes on you in Christ, there's great peace. The kind of peace that enables uh, people like us to resist paying, repaying people evil with evil, enabling us to be those who can bless even when we're cursed. We're going to need grace 
and strength to do that. And that's why we're going to go to the king and seek his gracious presence at his table. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your son for us. Lord Jesus Christ, king of the nations, how thankful we are that you embraced suffering for us. Now we need to embrace suffering out of loyalty to you, and we need your grace and your strength, your love and your power to do it. So grant us these things as we draw near to you. Amen.